Hey guys, welcome to the Bitcoin Fortress podcast, helping you increase your financial freedom. This is episode 44, recorded here on December 11th, 2022. This podcast is for entertainment only and is not investing advice, so please do your own homework. Okay, so starting out with the Market update, stocks wrapped up their worst week since September as recession fears resurfaced after a hotter-than-expected report on wholesale price inflation ahead of next week's Federal Reserve policy meeting. The Fed has delivered four 75 basis point increases to its benchmark rate and is widely expected to raise rates by another 50 basis points next week. Investors are also awaiting next Tuesday's report on U.S. consumer prices for a reading on whether inflation has receded. U.S. Treasuries endured a bumpy week with the 10-year yield ending six basis points higher at 3.57%. For the week, the Dow Jones average sank 2.7%, the S&P fell 3.3%, and the NASDAQ composite tumbled 4%. Looking ahead, two of the biggest economic events that remain for 2022 hit the calendar next week with the November CPI report and Federal Reserve meeting having the potential to set the tone for the remaining three weeks of the year. While a mild CPI print is not anticipated to jolt the Fed away from its hawkish stance, a flat reading or surprise to the upside could reset expectations for investors out in front of their skis for betting on an inflation peak. While the earnings calendar is razor thin for the week, key events for Yum Brands, Pfizer, JM Smucker, Volkswagen, and Centene Corporation will keep investors on their toes. Moving into Bitcoin news, uh, the first article here is from Coindesk. Uh, This was published on December 9th. Sam Bankman-Fried's Alameda Research secretly funded crypto media site The Block and its CEO. CEO Michael McCaffrey has resigned as a result of the loans coming to light, the block confirmed. And this was all over Twitter uh, last week. So crypto media site, the block was secretly funded over the last two years by Sam Bankman-Fried's Alameda Research, the block confirmed on Friday. The block CEO, Michael McCaffrey, immediately resigned after the loans came to light and will also step down from the block's board. The company said no one at the company had any knowledge of the loans except for McCaffrey. According to the block, McCaffrey received three loans for a total of $43 million from 2021 through this year. The first loan was for $12 million in 2021 to buy out other investors in the media company, which at, which at the time McCaffrey McCaffrey took over as CEO. The second was for $15 million in January to fund day-to-day operations. And the third was for $16 million earlier this year for McCaffrey to purchase personal real estate in the Bahamas, according to the blog. Bobby Moran, the blog's chief revenue officer, will step into the role of CEO effective immediately, according to the report. No one at the block had any knowledge of this financial arrangement besides Mike, Moran said in a statement. From our own experience, we have seen no evidence that Mike ever sought to improperly influence the newsroom or research teams, particularly in their coverage of SBF, FTX, and Alameda Research. 
Bankman Freed, known as SBF, is the founder and former CEO of FTX, a crypto exchange that filed for bankruptcy last month after Coindesk revealed an unusually close relationship between FTX and Alameda, a trading firm affiliated with FTX. In a tweet thread on Friday, McCaffrey said that in early 2021, the company was in dire straits and the only option that materialized was secure a $12 million loan for his holding company from SBF. He said he didn't disclose that loan nor a subsequent $15 million loan to anyone since he didn't want knowledge of the loan to be seen as compromising the objectivity of the coverage of Bankman Freed and his companies. McCaffrey added that he never attempted to influence coverage of FTX, Alameda, or SBF. Frank Chaparro, an editor-at-large at the block, said in a tweet that he was gutted by this news, which was brief to the company this afternoon, adding that McCaffrey kept every single one of us in the dark. <coughs> the block is a competitor to Coindesk. So this is a, another concerning development in the whole FDX debacle, and this is really, um, if you cut through it, it's really uh, using the uh, ill-gotten funds stolen from investors not only to line the pockets of politicians on both sides of the aisle, not only to make a bunch of really bad investments, but also to influence the press. Uh, you know, as much as they want to say that this didn't influence the newsroom or, or how the coverage was going to be, it's really hard to believe that that would be true. Uh, more Sam Bankman news. This one here is from Crypto News. Uh, this was dated December 10th. Sam Bankman Freed finally agrees to testify before House Committee next week. This is what happened. Sam Bankman-Fried, founder and former CEO of FTX, has eventually agreed to participate in the upcoming U.S. House Committee's hearing and testify on the collapse of his crypto empire. In a Friday tweet, Bankman-Fried said he still does not have access to much data regarding his crypto empire and what led to the collapse, but would participate in the hearing on December 13th as the committee believes it would be useful. Uh, as reported, the U.S. House Financial Services Committee announced last month that it plans to hold a hearing to investigate the collapse of the crypto exchange FTX. The committee said they expected to hear from the companies and individuals involved, including FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried, Alameda Research, Binance, and more. However, SBF said he might not appear as he's still not finished with learning and reviewing what happened. Once I finished learning and reviewing what happened, I would feel like it was my duty to appear before the committee and explain, he said. The response ostensibly drew the ire of the Financial Services Committee Chair, Maxine Waters, who demanded Sam Bankman-Fried participate in the upcoming hearing in a rather unfriendly tweet. Waters even claimed that a subpoena is definitely on the table for Sam Bankman-Fried if he refuses to testify. Meanwhile, Waters' relatively strict approach comes as many in the crypto community have slammed lawmakers for their lack of seriousness in the FTX probe. Many have argued that SBF misappropriated billions of dollars from customers and is getting away with one of the largest frauds in history with little to no scrutiny. Will Meditis, co-founder and CEO of Science.io, has even linked the behavior of regulators to the SBF donations. In a recent tweet, he said Bankman-Fried did one of the highest ROI trades of all time by donating $40 million and not going to jail for stealing over $10 billion in user funds. 
So the hearing will be interesting, and I'm um, pretty sure he's not coming to the U.S. because uh, they might arrest him if he shows up here. So I'm sure he'll be on the screen. Um, so that should be fun to watch. Uh, next article here is from Cointelegraph. This was also posted on December 10th. SBF tried to destabilize crypto market to save FTX. Tether executives and Binance CEO Changpeng CZ Zhao worried that Sam Bankman-Fried, former FTX CEO, was attempting to destabilize the crypto market, aiming to save the now bankrupt exchange, according to reports on December 9th. Messages seen by the Wall Street Journal of a signal group chat named Exchange Coordination reveals an argument between CZ and SBF on November 10th about Tether's stablecoin USDT. According to the report, CZ and others in the group worried that trades made by Alameda Research were focusing on DPEG, the stablecoin, which would have a ripple effect on crypto prices. Binance CEO reportedly confronted SBF. Stop trying to depeg stable coins and stop doing anything. Stop now. Don't cause more damage. SBF denied the claims in a statement to the Wall Street Journal. Members of the Signal Group include Kraken co-founder Jesse Powell, Paolo Arduino, Chief Technology Officer of Twitter, Tether, among others. In the alleged argument happening a day after Binance announced that it wouldn't bail out its troubled competitor FTX, citing reports regarding mishandled customer funds and alleged U.S. agency investigations. On November 10th, Tether's Arduino said, also said that the company has no plans to invest or lend money to FTX Alameda. As reported by Cointelegraph, new details about the failed agreement between Binance and FTX were revealed on December 9th. In a Twitter thread, CZ referred to Bankman Freed as a fraudster, saying Binance exited its position um, in FTX in July 2021 after becoming increasingly uncomfortable with Alameda SBF. SBF was unhinged at the exchange pulling out, according to Binance's CEO. In response, SBF claimed that Binance threatened to walk at the last minute, accusing CZ of lying about his role in the deal. On November, November 11th, FTX Group and nearly 130 companies, including FTX Trading, FTX US, under West Realm Shires, Services and Alameda Research filed for bankruptcy in the United States, citing a liquidity crunch. Since FTX's bankruptcy, SBF has been named in seven class action lawsuits and numerous probes and investigations, including a market manipulation probe by federal regulators. Moving on to the next article here, this is actually an op-ed piece um, on... Uh, it is by George Kaloudis. Uh, Goldman Sachs is trying to make blockchain bonds happen. This week, David Solomon, <clears throat> chairman and CEO of investment bank Goldman Sachs, proved he's stuck in the past with a Wall Street Journal opinion piece he penned titled, Blockchain is Much More Than Crypto. The article was published on the heels of Goldman saying it's planning to spend tens of millions of dollars on discounted crypto investments. In the article, Solomon correctly points out that the blockchain came in and disrupted heavily regulated industries like banks. Oddly, he goes on from there to claim that the deafening call for regulation means young blockchain organizations won't be able to keep up with regulatory requirements. 
and that is especially true of cryptocurrencies. But we shouldn't miss the forest for the trees. That is, we should recognize that blockchain can support responsible innovation across the financial industry without cryptocurrencies. We've heard that one before. I don't know about this Bitcoin thing, but there's surely some potential in the underlying blockchain technology. To defend his position, Solomon shared how Goldman Sachs used a private blockchain to arrange a 100 million euro two-year digital bond for the European Investment Bank that was settled in 60 seconds instead of the usual five days. Craze B to private blockchain. The takeaway is supposed to be that Goldman will use a private blockchain to reduce settlement times, ultimately lowering costs for all stakeholders, except the reason bonds settle in five days is not because of the lack of a blockchain, it's because of Goldman Sachs and regulation and bureaucratic red tape. Adding a private blockchain isn't going to rid Goldman Sachs bond placement process of Goldman Sachs and regulation and bureaucratic red tape, especially when that deafening call for regulation is answered. Sure, maybe adding a blockchain is a solution, but really it's not for one main reason. Private permission blockchains are worse than useless. Don't let anyone trick you. Blockchains are not a complicated idea. If you know what a database is, an electronic repository of data, then you basically know what a blockchain is. Databases store data in a place. You or Goldman Sachs can access that data electronically if the database manager allows you to access to that data. Otherwise, no data for you or Goldman Sachs. Blockchains are the same thing, but all the data is public and copies of the database are stored in many disparate places. In theory, just about anyone can join and maintain their own copy of the data on a computer they know and trust. If that sounds like a very narrow, minimal potential use case and potentially slow technology, that's because it is. There's no need to allow everyone to have non-permissioned access to every piece of data all the time unless you're trying to get around needing a database manager or some other trusted third party to access that data. Something like digital money could be a good application of this technology. Anything else, you're better off with a regular database. Really, the takeaway here is that blockchains are yet another round of narrow, minimal, potential use case technologies getting shoved into all sorts of broad applications where they simply shouldn't be shoved. Cue the conversation about pairing artificial intelligence with our drinking water or whatever. Shipping company Maersk and tech giant international business machines tried to blockchainify supply chains and um, put tomatoes or bananas or whatever on the blockchain through a shipping blockchain called TradeLens, whatever that means. TradeLens failed and shut down two weeks ago after almost five years of trying. It failed because it didn't reach the level of commercial viability necessary to continue work and meet the financial expectations as an independent business because the idea simply isn't viable. I think the killer app for blockchain is decentralized money. Others think it's decentralized governance. These ideas come to life as unbanked women in Afghanistan seek financial freedom through Bitcoin, and as crowdfunding efforts are organized to bid on things like the U.S. Constitution. A sillier example, comparatively sure, but pretty timely. The killer blockchain apps will most probably and currently do live on public permissionless blockchains. All said, I can assure you of one thing. The killer app won't come from private permission blockchains used to settle bond placements by huge multinational investment banks. And I'd have to say, once again, he's got a lot of good points here. And um, um, blockchain itself is, uh, 
really not uh, suitable for anything other than money. And Bitcoin is really the the best implementation of that because it is truly decentralized. Okay, moving along, last uh, article here is from Bitcoin.com. This was just updated, and it's Robert Kiyosaki expects Bitcoin investors to get richer when Fed pivots prints trillions of dollars. uh, Let's see, the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki, has predicted that owners of Bitcoin will get richer while fake money savers will be the biggest losers. Rich Dad, Poor Dad is a 1997 book co-authored by Kiyosaki and Sharon Lecter and has been on the New York Times bestseller list for over six years. More than 32 million copies of the book have been sold in over 51 languages across more than 109 countries. Kiyosaki tweeted Thursday that people who own gold, silver, and Bitcoin will get richer when the Federal Reserve, the Treasury, the Wall Street, and Wall Street pivot and trillions of dollars are printed. Fake money savers will be the biggest losers, he stressed. The famous author has warned on several occasions that the U.S. pension crisis is much worse than we thought. In 2020, he co-authored a book titled Who Stole My Pension? with Edward Seidel. In the book, the authors discussed the greatest retirement crisis in the history of our nation and the entire world. When pension funds almost collapsed recently in England, Kiyosaki warned that a similar situation can happen in the U.S. Kiyosaki previously explained that the U.S. dollar became fake money when President Richard Nixon removed it from the gold standard in 1971. This is because rather than being tied to real money, such as gold, it was tied to the full faith and credit of the United States. The Rich Dad Poor Dad author noted, In September, he said, the end of fake money is here. He expects the U.S. dollar to crash by January. The renowned author has said repeatedly he doesn't trust the Federal Reserve, the Treasury, President Joe Biden, and Wall Street. In February, he warned that the Fed and the Treasury are destroying the U.S. dollar, advising people to buy Bitcoin. He recently stressed that cryptocurrency cannot be blamed for the collapse of crypto exchange FTX, emphasizing that Bitcoin is not the problem. He said the former FTX CEO, Sam Bankman, freed the Bernie Madoff of of crypto. Earlier this month, Kiyosaki explained that he is a Bitcoin investor, not a trader, and he gets excited when Bitcoin hits a new bottom. And uh, I couldn't agree more. I'm basically a hard money uh, advocate uh, like Robert Kiyosaki, and I like uh, Bitcoin and gold and silver. Um, And I do think our money is bad. Is it going to collapse in, by January? Um, I don't know. <laughs> Anything's possible, but that doesn't seem likely. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, are, are they going to continue to print money and continue to debase the currency and continue to increase the amount of debt? Probably. Um, and that'll happen uh, sooner or later. It's just a matter of time. Okay, I'll finish up uh, with this week's talk about Bitcoin and simplicity. And again, I've included links in the show notes to all of these uh, articles if you want to read them yourself. Uh, So the thought here is, why try to be the next Warren Buffett when all you have to do is save in the hardest money in the world? Our financial system is set up to force everyone to be investors since there's no other way to keep up with inflation the effect of which is demonstrated nicely 
uh, in, in a uh, chart that I've shared before that just shows the value of the dollar uh, since 1913 to the present. And it's a, a, a nice roller coaster ride down from upper left to lower right. Um, over time and through every major economic crisis, the answer is the same. Print more dollars, expand the money supply, and provide more credit to stabilize an unstable system, which ultimately drives the purchasing power of the dollar inexorably lower. This will happen again in the aftermath of the recession that's now brewing for next year, which is currently the consensus view. It's all but inevitable and so, and so obvious to anyone who's paying attention. Meanwhile, you're told to save for retirement in a 401k or IRA, pick from a variety of investments, all of which result in huge fees paid to Wall Street and make money whether you do or not. Whether you are a good or bad investor, the government gets their share when you take out your distributions in retirement. This is really unfair to folks who don't have all day to learn about markets and investing. You were either forced to spend a lot of time learning about the financial system and still fail to make a good return, or turn your money over to third parties that you have to trust and who earn fees whether your investments perform well or not. Even hedge funds have struggled to perform this year uh, as reported by Institutional Investor. And this is a direct quote, the 10 largest multi-strategy funds lost 2.1% year to date, significantly better than the entire group's loss of 3.4%. The 10 largest fixed income funds lost an average of 1.5% in 2022, beating the entire group by four percentage points. So far this year, the average buy and hold investor is getting crushed with the NASDAQ down 30%, the S&P 500 down 17%, and the Dow Jones Industrial Average down 8%. Let's not forget the supposedly safe, longer dated U.S. Treasury bonds, TLT uh, ticker being a representation of that, down 26%. <clears throat> Wouldn't it be nice if you didn't have to worry about all that? Wouldn't it be nice if you could just work hard, save your money, and know that it's going to be there for you to buy the same amount of stuff in retirement as it does today? Let's set aside the concept of investing for a moment, since I believe it should be your choice to take some of your savings and invest it for a greater return. It should not be a requirement for financial survival. Let's focus instead on core long-term savings. It's always good to have some savings set aside, and let's review what you're up against. First of all, let's look at the real rate of inflation. Um, and what I included is a chart from uh, Shadow Stats that I reference quite often in past posts. <clears throat> and the real rate of inflation is well over 15% after ignoring uh, methodological changes over time that have resulted in lower reported numbers. Even if you look at the government's own numbers using their methodology, which was held constant to 1980, inflation's approaching 10%. Uh, next, we can look at the best savings rates available uh, in the market, which I, and I just pulled up bank rate, and you've got Capital One at 3%, PNC Bank at 4%, Basque Bank at 3.85%, Citizens at 3.75%, and Lending Club at 3.6%. <clears throat> so for a saver, you, you can at best 
at 4% and you're dealing with between 10 and 15% inflation. So you're looking at a negative return on your savings cash of minus 6% to minus 11%. If you keep your money in a normal bank savings account, you get even less. I just checked and Wells Fargo is paying 0.01% and Chase is paying 0.02% on my accounts. It's almost like they don't want your money. Indeed, they don't because they don't need any deposits to lend against anymore since they now have a zero reserve requirement. And that was since March of 2020 that the Federal Reserve made that rule change. So we don't even have fractional reserve banking anymore. We have zero reserve banking. So no wonder people are feeling like they need to speculate um, in anything and everything. Maybe you still want to keep some fiat cash on the side for more immediate needs, and that's fine. But there is a solution for long-term savings, and it's Bitcoin, not crypto. All you have to do is buy Bitcoin regularly, put it into cold storage, and forget about it. With a long enough time horizon, you don't have to worry about the short-term volatility as the fiat value of Bitcoin will naturally adjust for the increase in the quantity of fiat money that is printed by global governments over time. This money printing is the only solution they have to maintain the debt-based fiat currency system we have in place today, as history has shown us. This system needs credit to be expanded and ever larger amounts of debt in order to function. First, a quick reminder about why Bitcoin is such a remarkable financial innovation. It's absolutely scarce, 21 million maximum coins. Transfers are peer-to-peer -peer without an intermediary. You can send value to anyone anywhere in the world with a computer and an internet connection. The Bitcoin network operates independently of all legacy financial systems. It is the first global digital payments infrastructure. There's no counterparty risk when you're self-custodying your asset. It's trustless. Bitcoin is not controlled by any person or group. A head, it's a hedge against fiat currency debasement and collapse in the same, same way that gold is. <coughs> but it doesn't have gold's drawbacks of difficulty to validate, store, transfer, and secure, especially in large amounts. Bitcoin's value grows through fiat currency debasement, which is highly probable to continue, and network adoption, which is also highly probable. Network adoption is enhanced by layer two protocols like Lightning Network, and the ability for an individual to be financially sovereign. Indeed, many people living in countries who face hyperinflation have already learned this lesson. Network adoption is also enhanced by the realization that Bitcoin held in self-custody is immune to crypto exchange and hedge fund fraud, crashes, bankruptcies, and is the primary reserve asset for a new digital monetary system. And then I put in a long-term log chart so you can kind of see that the value of Bitcoin, uh, although volatile, um, generally up and to the right. When you reach retirement or sooner, if you need to tap your funds for some reason, you have a few options. You can use Bitcoin to directly pay for goods and services. In the future, there will be many more vendors who will accept Bitcoin for payment, especially as the Lightning Network expands fast, cheap payments. You can also sell your Bitcoin for fiat currency and use that to make purchases, although that can trigger tax liabilities in many jurisdictions. Or you can take out a loan against your Bitcoin and fiat to make purchases. The advantage of a loan is that it's not taxable and can be paid off as part of your estate settlement process or sooner if you want to.
The key is to keep your borrowings very, very low relative to the value of your assets so you don't have a margin call. Uh, and then I also included a link uh, in the, you'll see it in the article to a uh, post that I wrote uh, a few weeks ago about how to buy Bitcoin um, safely, uh, not on crypto exchanges, but on uh, you know trusted Bitcoin provider uh, places that I've myself have used. Bitcoin offers you the simplicity of long-term savings again, just like people used to be able to do years ago when you earned interest on your savings that was higher than the rate of inflation. I call that the good old days. You don't have to try to be Warren Buffett unless you want to. Honestly, it's a bit unfair as the average person has a job, family, and other commitments, and unless you're able to spend all of your free time studying markets, most individual investors are at an extreme disadvantage. Even then, it's very difficult to generate a good return on your investments. The average individual investor <clears throat> is really the exit liquidity for the smart money, buying at the top and selling at the bottom. It's time to break that cycle and become financially sovereign, and that starts with Bitcoin. Okay. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please like and leave a comment. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. You can also follow my Substack at bitcoinfortress.substack.com. And you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is at Nick Reichert. I will talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.